Hi, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Teacher Healer podcast, where we get to geek out on all things education and heal the world at the same time. Annabelle Knight has over 40 years experience in school leadership, pedagogy and well-being in early childhood, primary and secondary contexts. Annabelle is the director of Strengths Canvas that empowers individuals and teams to experience greater well-being and higher performance through positive leadership. She is an advocate for using a strengths-based approach in education and sees the potential for it to impact positively on all areas of our lives. Listen to Annabelle talk about how important it is to put people and relationships at the centre of education rather than curriculum and data. We also unpack what early childhood education can teach the rest of the education system and how deep collaboration can provide multiple solutions for long-term change. Well, hello, Annabelle. It's a privilege to have you today. Very exciting to talk to you too. Um, I was so privileged to work with you actually a few years ago in a school Um, and you were a school leader then and a very kind mentor to me. So thank you for all your support and thank you for joining us today. Um, And you've recently in the last few years started your own consulting business I think it's called Strengths Canvas is that right? Correct yes. Yeah Yeah. so I just wanted for the listeners so they can get to know you a little would you be able to share a little bit about your work and message with Strengths Canvas? Sure well I think the name speaks a little bit for itself too it's it's Canvas with a double S so I'm looking to canvas people's strengths to work from people's strengths particularly their character strengths um, but the things that they're good at and they're passionate about and that energize them. Um, As a consultant you know I never thought I'd be a consultant in a million years and didn't even think about it but people kept coming to me to consult me, I guess. Um, and yeah. I started to uh, think to myself, well, if I've got something to contribute, then should I not be sharing it? And I like the idea of um, sharing possibilities and I've had a lot of amazing mentors, a lot of incredible experiences. I've learned a lot. Uh, context is everything. I think you learn um, things and you have to be able to filter them. Are they right for your context? But for me, the consultancy comes really down to um, relationships, I think, more than anything. It's mm. about believing in people, listening to people, building the relationships and thinking about what we can do because it's very empowering to think about what you can do rather than you can't do. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things we need to address. But I think if we focus on what we can do and do it together, then um, our well-being is better and we can achieve great things. So that's, mm. in essence, um, very strength-based, very relationship-based and also about saying, I see you, I hear you and I respect you. That sounds really lovely. So I can completely understand why you've taken off the way you have and having <laughs> a lot of people come to you rather than having to sort of sell what you do. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know, when we were working together, 
uh, you stood out as a, a kind of educator that was different to someone I'd met before, especially in leadership positions. Um, I really admired your fresh approach. It was controversial for some, um, but I really loved it. And I guess uh, my question today is what were the philosophies that were guiding you that made you so different? Um, I think it's probably more my life philosophy it starts from is that, you know, belief in people. I do challenge the stereotypes a bit. I wonder a lot. I'm a highly curious person. I began my journey completely the opposite way to most people. I began with, um, I always wanted to be a doctor, actually, a paediatrician. Um, so children have always been the centre of my um, life. But I began with early childhood, I think because I saw more, more opportunity for relationships, for creativity, for coming from the child. And I was a bit concerned about whether I could do secondary, not in an intellectual or academic could I um, flourish in that environment where the curriculum was the true north? And that worried me. So I did early childhood. Then um, I've always been recognised for my leadership. Um, I think you have to be courageous and I think you have to wonder. It's my favourite word, wonder about mm. things. I mean, I wonder about things like the NAPLAN. It started in 2008. It was earlier than that. It was the aim. But where's education gone since there? It hasn't improved. Our world mm. rankings haven't improved, you know, depending upon the assessment of how you look at it. We have one mm. of the youngest school age entrants in the world, for example. So what are we doing if they're starting earlier? Um, mm. I, I guess people like... Um, Ken Robinson, you know, that, you know, when he talked about uh, quite some time ago about the alternative school should be the school. And as you know, um, the arts, the creative arts. Um, yeah. You know, when the thinking curriculum came in, it's not about teaching it between two and three because we think beyond two, two and three on a Wednesday. You know, yeah. I think it's, I think it's about um, developing a space where people feel safe uh, and respected and can travel more of their own journey. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a curriculum. We do, we should, we should have a map. But I think how we, how we achieve those outcomes, we have to acknowledge each person's uniqueness and that they will travel, their how will be quite different. So I've started work with um, talking about the curriculum or the map as the itinerary but then we would take a different trip. We would all take a different trip. And if you're assessing skills, it doesn't actually matter so much if the trip is a little bit different. So we started to then look at what the itinerary looked like, bare bones, and then how exciting the trip was. So imagine going to Europe and you can't stay at a place a little bit longer that's absolutely enchanting. Yeah. And you have to stay a long time in a place that isn't what you thought it was going to be or it doesn't resonate with you. Mm, so mm. for me, we we need to talk beyond, you know, look, why do we have education? Um, why do we have schools? Is this not a privilege to join a child and their family on their learning journey? So I think I am different. I think I've always been a bit different. But I'm happy with that because I think we need differences. We need different opinions and different ideas and different perspectives and otherwise we get stuck. So, and I guess the other philosophy, I suppose the deep 
abiding foundation for me was the Reggio Emilia Educational Project. And that's an early childhood-based project, educational project in Reggio Emilia in Italy. And I felt that I'd found my tribe when I found that group of people. Um, And it's based on relationships, on listening, on partnerships, Mm. on documenting learning. And, you know, in the 90s I travelled there for the first time and felt so at home with this journey uh, with the child at the centre. So um, it hasn't always been easy and people have questioned, but I think the evidence shows how important these things are to education. What comes first? You know, the relationships, the well-being. If you want someone to perform at their best, to be their best, don't they have to be holistically well to feel safe, to feel trusted, um, to know that they're a person of value? Yeah, 100%. Like I I remember the feeling of working with you in the secondary environment being very much that putting the child at the centre. Now, I don't know what your fingerprint had been on the culture of that school up to that point, but I very much felt like there was something unique about that school and about the way that we cared about the students first and the curriculum was kind of a little bit secondary, if you like. Mm. Like the kids were really at the centre and I really loved that. You raised a question there, what you were saying, and um, it brings me back to my first episode of Teacher Healer and why I started the podcast in the first place. It's a question I've been wanting to answer, to rethink, is why do we have schools? I'm going to ask you to give your response to that. Why do we have schools? Why are we doing this? Well, I think the true thing is to educate. And what does educate mean? It means to draw out from people. I think it's about connecting I think it's about learning, about being a learner, coming together. I worry when we talk about, you know, all virtual schools and virtual learning because no Mm. one can teach you the the social skills, um, which can be very challenging um, as well. But they, I keep saying we've got to do this together. I don't think that any one person can revolutionise anything or or evolve things or change it. If they could, we would have. If there was a one way and one person could do it, I think we've got to do it together and we've got to collaborate. Mm. So you've got to learn some skills around that as well. I think learning how to learn, being autonomous, so you know who to go to, where to go to, learning how to analyse, how to express yourselves. I mean, they're, they're big broad concepts, but you can do it through a variety of mediums. I mean, obviously it's really critical that we're literate and numerate Mm. to manage our world, but it's more than that. It's much more than that. And I think it's a conversation that actually needs to be had. Why educate? What's the purpose of schools? If we say it's to develop skills for the workforce, well, let's backtrack and say what's the workforce like now? What are we looking for? Because it's not the workforce of the 50s or the 70s. Um, And I think we need to have those really important conversations as as, um, a collaborative group and therein I think lies some of the challenges um, for education moving forward. Well, that's it. I think a lot of people have a different view and I think there's a lot of people out there that think, well, school worked for me. So, But I'd, I'd question 
them as to where the school actually did work yeah. for them. <laughs> I and know, the challenge, I like yeah. You know, being Sorry. someone who gets A's, it doesn't doesn't mean that the system works for you. You know, that doesn't. No, it's not the no. only thing. I think you can learn how to work the system as well, mm-hmm. but then when you move beyond it, what is your support base? You know, your belief in yourself, um, your ability to work your way through the challenges, because at school there is a level of support. Um, and then we move into other areas that are much much more challenging and less connected. So what can we take from us from that experience into this next chapter? The thing I found interesting about your answer to like why have schools is, you know, our curriculum sort of teaches us what kids should know. Um, there is a lot of cross-curricular sort of themes. There is the general capabilities in the Australian curriculum, and I don't know what that looks like in other parts of the world. I haven't done that research. But I I feel like what you said was much more on the how to do things, the skills that you need in order to thrive, and less on the what we need to learn. So that's really interesting. And I I wonder if that comes from your experience starting in early childhood. And it's an interesting thing to think that the rest of us have something to learn from early childhood education, because I don't think many people think of that. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, I think I was drawn to environments that could help me flourish, but also that I could contribute to. Um, And what I found was, for example, it was the VCE teachers in the arts who were most fascinated by what we're doing in early childhood to start with, because they were doing portfolios too, and we were doing portfolios of Mm. learning. And, um, And they wondered about the possibilities of of what we could learn from that. And, you know, you've sort of read all the old poems about, you know, we learn so much in a sandpit sort of thing. And I know it's it's quite simplistic, but the reality is if we look at it now, I think it's, is it Google or Apple who are interviewing their staff in collaborative groups and they're not go, they're not employing the person who's the loudest or the most extroverted. They're seeing how people work together in teams. So they're looking sort of transcending the what uh, much more into the how. And I remember um, one of the principals I worked with and him saying to me, you can teach skills and you can develop experience, but what do these people value? What is it they're passionate about when we were interviewing staff? And I would always agree with that because it's not an easy role, education um, to be mm. an educator, it's not easy, and um, we're passionate people. There for the reward, there for the students, and mm. I think that helps drive us as well. But it's, I think, it's really about the how, and people slowly but surely are seeing that because there's other, a lot of the what isn't working. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you feel are the biggest challenges the education system is facing at the moment, and do you have any ideas for how we sort of design our way through that or navigate those challenges? Well, I, I do, um, and I think I've been very fortunate. I suppose one of the things I saw that I loved and that really resonated with me, I, I um, did some study in Finland because at that time I really want, I know we've got other places like Korea and we've got other places that um, in terms of the 
um, rankings are doing very well. But I was always fascinated by Finland and I went there um, and um, taught a couple of classes and learned a lot about life in, in Finland. And, you know, I loved going into assemblies and not really being able to tell whether it was a teacher or a student leading assembly. Um, they, they weren't in uniform, so that was a bit tricky. Um, but it was very student-led. It was very autonomous. What I loved about the way they did things, because I looked at their curriculum, their curriculum was probably a bit more like the old CSF, where there were two years to achieve um, the outcomes. It was definitely less um, than more and there was a lot of depth in it and there was a lot of, um, as Jung Zhao talks about, personalisable. There was a little bit more of the uniqueness of the individuals. But in terms of moving forward, I think we're stuck. I think we're stuck because it's huge, it's overwhelming and there's a lot mm. of other things going in the world on in the world. So um, education is very important. I think everyone recognises that. But we're a bit stuck. So I feel like, and it's a, it's a dream, okay, it's a dream, but I don't, I'm full of hope and I'm full of dreams, yes. um, is that in Finland what I found was teachers in schools, there was a teacher in school who was nominated or who was interviewed to be a representative in a regional area. It wasn't on top of their work. It was part of their work. So they were given time to do that. And they met with regional groups and the regional groups informed government, informed education. They were people working in classrooms at the time and they were taking the voice and having a conversation with the government and that's how they were developing their policies and their um, learning maps and things like that. And I think that's really powerful to have student um, teachers respected and not being asked to do um, another add-on, but actually as part of your work, uh, you you share what's happening, what's working, what the struggles are, what some of the possible solutions might be. So that would take, and that takes a long-term view. So my dream is that we move beyond individuals and political parties and we get people talking about the true north for education and health um, and I understand they will travel their different journey and I'm not a political person. I just think we can't ch keep chopping and changing every three years or five years or whatever it might be. We've got to know what we're working towards. The how might be and should be different for systems and stages and you know, and for people, but I don't think we should deviate from that true north. And that's a big picture. That's a dream. Except I think it's an important dream because we have to do something and we have to be more collegial and collaborative about it. It's not about winning or losing. I mean, the loss is, well, it's education, it's children, it's families. Like it's just too important. We have to rise above self mm. and work more us. I love that dream. Like it's such an important dream to voice, even though you can feel a bit powerless in the face of the size of it because that's so macro. <laughs> like, it is. <laughs> I'm sitting here feeling macro talking about how can we change the education system, but you just went next level, level macro and took it out to like it's our whole system of government and I'd like – There'll be a lot of listeners here from overseas, but at the moment we're working on uh, First Nations voice to parliament. Yep. And yep. even that is just the biggest challenge at the moment in terms of how 
that happens. And it's, mm. it's maybe that's the secret to democracy going forward in general for, for all aspects of society as well is that, you know, we've got so many people being politicians who are professional politicians and we need them to have that knowledge because I can't write legislation. Mm. But at the same time, I don't want private school boys to be telling me how my life should look all the time, which is what's been the history of this country for a very long time. So it, it's nice to see the new diversity in our parliament. I think that, you know, COVID gave us a fresh perspective on the kinds of voices we want to see in our parliament. But um, how to maintain the experience within government as well as getting that freshness, I think that's exciting to think about that I, and how that could work. I have micro and meso too because I know I think you have to do the big and keep chipping away as well at the smaller. Mm. I think that it's for the smaller it's about finding the pockets of energy and passion and belief and recognising it. Uh, and whether um, particularly in uh, recognising teachers, it used to be that to be an educator or a doctor was the most honourable profession. Um, so how do we value, what does success look like? Are we, are we valuing income or are we valuing the contribution that we have? So I think that every, in every system there's something that works and works well, David Cooper writers um, thinking through appreciative inquiry. So for me it's about... Um, Leaders have a very big responsibility, but you don't have to have a badge or a car park or a title to be a leader. I think finding those pockets of brilliance, those um, passionate people, recognising them not with awards and things so much as recognising them with um, time and energy, again, not an add-on, bringing them together and across ages and stages, which we did, we had, um, you know, from kindergarten right through to year 12, people coming together and arguing and debating the difference between a curriculum or a practice or something, but to start thinking about what was best for the student, what, what sort of culture we wanted to develop. So I think that's important for teachers because they're brilliant teachers, educators, not some of us have teaching degrees, some of us are born to educate, I think. And partnerships with parents, absolutely critical. Challenges, yes, but we're, we want the same thing. The journey to it might be different and it might be perceived to be different, but the partnership with the parents so that they feel the trust and the teachers feel the trust and recognition as well. And then most of all, it's the student. We should be having conversations with them, like letting them assess work, peer assessment, asking them what's working for them. And, and if not, why not? What would they do differently? And so I think that um, a lot of the work that's being done and being done quite well, we just need to connect it and build the energy, which will give us renewable energy sources within ourselves to be more courageous and to have the bigger conversation. I don't think it's one or the other because everybody can contribute, although it's hard to do it on your own. So connect, join, and build energy so the conversation gets bigger. I actually love that. And that's a lesson that I had this week for work because uh, usually, like I write curriculum, so usually I'm told what I have to do because that's what someone's paid us to do. But I got to do something fresh because we're working on some new products. And I went back to 
the core of what makes me passionate, which is music. And I was writing some music resources and the way that that filled me was so different. Even though I'm passionate about the rest of my job, it was, it was very different Mm -hmm. to work in a space where I'm like, this brings me so much joy and aliveness. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea of that, um, renewable source of energy in humans because we're continually filling them up instead of draining them and like wow what you could achieve with that that would be so exciting Hmm. I think it is and I think the elevation that we get from being together uh I notice it so often you know I'm there facilitating and people say oh it's just amazing and I think oh I think it would have been amazing even without me because the knowledge was in the room and the energy uh I hope I facilitate well and bring the best out in people but it's the getting them together we all need to connect I know it's a continuum some more so um and some less so but we do need to connect because that's where the joy comes but also the debates and the disagreements and the new knowledge, it all comes from that. So, mm. I've got like a lot of questions. <laughs> so I'm just <laughs> trying to filter in my head which direction I go in so as not to yeah. lead this to astray. Um, so if you were talking in, um, we had a chat before this about uh, student voice. You'd sort of briefly mentioned that. Um, just mm-hmm. before and you had a gorgeous story about working in the early primary years or something about student voice do you remember that story and would you be willing to share that which story give me was give that me about a clue. designing so many... the school or the curriculum oh you, yes you yeah, with yeah the children yeah, yeah. Mm. we we had this amazing opportunity to design a new junior school actually at the time and it was felt a bit overwhelming. Um, when things feel a bit overwhelming to me, I go to what makes me feel safe and that is talking to others and getting their perspective. Um, and so I talked to the students, really, made the students at the centre and I felt most comfortable about that. Um, and the journey, we had this un- these under-construction teams. Um, there was a member from um, all the way from kindergarten and prep all the way through to year six, and they would have these debates like uh, one of the students would say, we need water in every room, and then one of the older students would say, but it's the driest continent on earth. How are we going to have water in each room? So the younger children were learning from the older children. When it came to air conditioning, they were saying, oh, we worry about the sustainability of that. Perhaps we'll just have it in the younger children's room because they don't um, – They haven't yet learnt how to cool down and they'll run around, but we should know better than that, you know. So it was really lovely. And anyway, the architect um, that was chosen, who was just an amazing listener, incredibly um, human, um, gentle, kind person. His name is John Wood. And I remember there was a time when he walked in to the area. This was the playground we were talking about. And the children said, Mr. Wood, would you kneel down? And um, he looked at me and I looked at him and I thought, well, let's do it. And as he was kneeling, they said, this is amazing because now you can see it, this playground the way we see it and we can do something amazing. And I just thought we won an award um, the first time um, that it was given outside of the United States actually for the design process, not necessarily the end result, but the design process um, 
There were so many stories like that. One of the young children said, why do you walk into schools and in the reception area, of course, they've got these high benches sort of that that adults can see over the top of, but the children have to come around the side to get eye contact. And they said, why is that? It's a school. It's our school. Why can't we see over the top? So true. So that was the that was the most incredible experience of my life, designing, I sort of feel a bit emotional, designing a space <laughs> with the children as the architects, but having an architect who would listen to them and respect them and a board and a head of school, Simon Gibson was the head of the school, people like that who valued children and their voice like I did, how lucky am I? So lucky and and genius as well to to think let's turn this back to the kids and see what their thoughts mm-hmm. are. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think there'd be that many people who'd do that around school design. I have heard of one teacher <laughs> that I think they bought they wanted an aeroplane, so they bought like a decommissioned aeroplane and turned it put it in their playground. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but that's probably the only example I've heard of that. So that's that's really special. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, have you? got any stories and some I know you've been around the world and seen a few things um of things that have stood out to you where you've gone gee where's that seems to be the answer let's all do that I I don't think anything no because I think Mm -hmm. that context is everything I'm a bit I'm pretty eclectic person um I've picked bits and pieces from every, you know, using my filter, thinking about the context, will this work, Um, you know, we can give it a try. But we don't want to be experimental in a sense either, but we've just got to evolve. I like the idea of um, evolving rather than changing um, and growing. But um, I have, I do believe that um, Reggio Emilia taught me an awful lot about documentation. They're absolute masters of documentation and they talk about um, capturing the, the thinking and, um, and, and now, of course, they're using media as well as, you know, uh, children's thinking and, you know, we transcribe their thinking. I do believe that there are areas in like Finland and other areas that I've seen that I think are really, really powerful. But I don't think there's necessarily one answer. I think it's a collection of things and that's why I think the conversation is really, really important to have. What I've seen that I think are important is that people come before programs always and processes. I think whole school alignment is really important and it's very confusing for everyone if each class you go to there's um, so much difference that it takes you some time to connect as to where you're at. Every teacher definitely should bring their uniqueness. I have no problem with that. But it's the alignment, I think, that's really important. So you can sort of go in there and sort of I know what's important in this space. I think that we need to focus on depth not just breadth, not doing more and more, more all the time, but doing things as well as we possibly can and giving time to explore things in depth, to research. And so I think that I know I often talk conceptually, but I'm not so worried about um, the what because I think the what, we know what those things need to be. You know, we need to 
everyone to be able to read. We need people to be able to read for meaning. We know that there are important things they need to learn and there's a few things in the curriculum that are not as important um, that are still sitting there. But I do genuinely believe that it's the getting together to share that will lead the way. There's not a recipe, definitely. There are good things happening in every school, in every system. Um, and, you know, I haven't been to hit, you know, all the countries of the world, for example. I haven't tra- um, done as much in Asia as I have done in Europe and I still work more in America um, and Europe. So make what is exciting and new and valuable visible and show that you value it. Things like, you know, student assessment and looking more at portfolios, less about grades, those sort of things where people are brave enough to do that. But to be honest, there's not as much as I'd like to see of that bravery. Yeah, there's there's sort of two themes coming up in what I'm hearing you talk about and um, one of them is courage and bravery and the other one is trust mm-hmm. and um, I think courage is something we talk about in leadership circles. I don't know if it's discussed as much within teaching circles. Um, mm-hmm. I know that we've done courses on courageous leadership and stuff with some consulting work that I've done in the past. Um, I'd be curious to hear from teachers about what they think about whether they're taught about courageous teaching other than teach like a pirate and things like that. I I don't know if that's Mm. a word that is part of the teaching vocabulary. Um, But trust is massive for teachers and I've certainly been reading a lot on Twitter about there's a lot of mistrust at the moment, mistrust in school leaders, mistrust between teachers and students, mistrust between colleagues, mistrust in the system. Um, Do you have any thoughts on, you know, are there any recipes for that? I think people need to feel safe. I think listening. I think it's about listening and I learned that a lot through Reggio Emilia and through my coaching is listening to people and questioning. I think we've got to be careful not to interpret questioning as mistrust too and accountability as mistrust because we all have to be accountable. We all have to be. And mm-hmm. Paige Williams is doing some wonderful work at Melbourne University and she one of the quotes that um, really resonated with me was accountability is a gift of love. And I thought, well, who do we hold most accountable? The people we believe in, the people close to us, the people that we think have the potential. But I think it's um, it, it's got to be not the micromanaging and more of what makes you say that. Tell me what makes you say that, what's working for you, and much more of the listening. If we're not feeling psychologically safe or if you put your voice on the table and it's at the table it's closed down straight away or someone makes you feel uh, less then that's not powerful I think what we've got to do is when we disagree or we want to jump in why not say I'm wondering about that I'm puzzled by that um Share more with me so I can seek to understand. And I think that's what I've always tried to do. I do seek to understand because understanding, you know, is is really important rather than judging too quickly. 
just let it sit uh, and ask ask more questions. And you know when you're trusted. You know when you're trusted. And if you don't feel trusted, I think you can be curious about that. It feels like mm. you're not trusting me to do this. That's why I say courage because it takes a bit of courage to say what this feels like, you know, because the person could say, oh, no, I don't mean that at all. This is what I mean. But if we don't keep a conversation going with lots of questions, how do we understand each other? Yeah. It, it reminds me of my interview with Margaret Thorsborn. She was like, curious, not furious, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's from a judgment perspective, but from just willing to learn and listen. You, so you mentioned courage ties in with the feelings, but how, do, how else does courage tie in with trust? Because sometimes it's a big risk. Like the reason it's brave is because you're taking a risk. Mm, I think we're, we're all different and I think for me I've tended to be a person that trusts easily and I have been burnt, but not very often, not very often at all. But that's part of my temperament. Um, I, I passionately believe in what I'm doing and in people and I'm yet to meet someone who's purposely tried to um, hurt me. You know, I think that courage is I've had a couple of situations in leadership where the last thing I wanted to do was have the conversation but I had the conversation even if it meant that I got a bit emotional I still um, had the conversation and realized that it was a misunderstanding more than anything so it's that sense of you know you feel is it bravery you know you do it anyway even though you're feeling nervous and worried about it you still do it if it's something really important to you or important to the child or important to something that you value, like education, I think it's the conversation, it's the question. But, again, it's how. It keeps getting back to how. Go, you know, standing there and saying, this is, this is how I interpreted this, this is what I'm feeling, can you help me out here? Um, you know, am I, am I on the right track? I distinctly remember going through quite a few months in my early leadership of walking past someone I respected enormously um, who, and I'd say good morning, you know, my bright, bouncy kind of good morning and the staff used to talk about, um, you know, we need you out in the playground every morning. Well, I was out in the playground pretty much every morning and every afternoon. Um, But I didn't get a response. And after a period of time, I started to think um, they don't like me. They don't value me. Maybe I don't have as many letters after my name as they do. Uh, and, and the story, the story had got so huge that it was getting harder and harder to be brave and I let it go too long. But eventually I had the conversation and the response was, are you kidding? It, honestly, I'm just not a morning person. I probably, I'm so sorry. I should have responded. And here was I thinking all these negative thoughts about myself and my credentials and my ability to lead and everything. And it was about the fact that I was a morning person and they weren't, you know, five or six months of worrying about something. And I just thought, oh, why didn't I have that conversation earlier? I think that was a signpost for me to say, red flag, Annabelle, ask the question. Well, that was very brave because I certainly have had situations where I 
I didn't have those conversations. And it's still, if I went back in that situation, I'd be back in the same situation I was in before. Mm, um, it's really hard. It's hard. Because it's so easy to blame someone or to complain and talk to other people about it, but it's not so easy to go to that person and go, what's the deal here? What can and you we know, do about it? You know, even if you're a bit emotional or you, you're human, um, I know in one of the situations I did cry. And I'm not sad about that because it was hurting. And then I realised afterwards it was just a bit silly, really. <laughs> to be honest, I'd let it get too far and, and then I felt amazing. And some of those mm. people are now the closest relationships I have because they actually were my opposite. They were my opposite. So that's what was challenging. But if you work with your opposite most days, not all days, <laughs> um, you learn so much more so much more. Yeah. So this is making me wonder about kids. Cause I mean, I, I've, I've had students who just didn't take to me, you know, and everyone has them. Um, some people you get along great with and some people you just don't. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking back to the purpose of teacher healer, which is to work out how we can heal education, how we can heal ourselves, how we can heal the world. So this is sounding very much on that track, you know, what, it sounds to me like having those courageous conversations is part of that healing. Um, so how do we, do you have any thoughts on bringing kids into the mix there and teaching them those skills? I think we have to role model that, I think, as as adults. But the thing is you've got to have your tank field your, your, to be able to do that because that's not very easy. It's hard to put boundaries in. It's hard to have these conversations. So really it does get back to recognising and acknowledging people. Uh, I see, I hear and I respect you because if the person who's got to have the conversation doesn't feel that, they're not going to feel that they can have a conversation with a student. Um, so I, I personally think that it's about being curious, it's about being courageous, about being connected and about being consistent. They're sort of like, it sounds like vitamin C, doesn't it? They're all C's. <laughs> um, but I think that with that student, for example, if we can energise ourselves enough or find the purpose enough, the purpose to reach that student, um, then it's sitting down and saying to them, How's it going? What's working? What are you struggling with? I sense that, you know, the other day you were you were in full flight talking to stu to other peers and I walked in and stopped. Is that about me or is it about me, teacher me, you know, the, the role that you think, your experience with teachers? Because we're not born with emotions. We build our emotions through our experience. So if someone's had... I don't know, some, some trauma or some um, unfortunate experiences in education or with adults or something like that, if you, if you invite the conversation, you might not get the student um, responding, but the fact that you have is so powerful. Uh, I remember sitting with one of my own children who's very much a doing person and was struggling with chemistry, very artistic uh, person as well. And I just sat there. I didn't say anything. I always sat there and let my children do the talking because I knew that they knew what about themselves and what they needed. Uh, they just needed me 
in, in the room sort of thing. And I remember her saying, if if I could see it in a 3D, the, this atom or this molecule or whatever it might be, I think I might connect to it more. Or even in maths, she explained it, I can do it in my split times with athletics, but I find it hard on paper. Saying that to the teacher was so powerful because the teacher, it wasn't about criticising someone. I think that's the key. Relationships is not about criticising someone. It's about accepting their difference and saying, this is about me, actually. I want to learn more. No one needs to defend in that situation. So you don't feel like you're less of a person. And this particular chemistry teacher the next week came in with polystyrene balls and straws and they were making molecules. This is in year 11 um, and models of it. And so many of the the students turned around and said, this is amazing. So it just came from a conversation of I'm not getting it. I'm feeling like I'm not very clever. It's not about you. How do I do it? And the teacher then said, thank you for having that conversation because I reached a lot of other children that way because that teacher was a an expert and that whole expert novice stuff. So I do think that's really important. I keep going back to the same things, I guess, how important the conversations are, how important it is to be brave and the teacher has to enable that accessibility as well. But I think we can all do it. We just don't have to have... Um, that that purpose, that passion, that energy to do it, and I don't think I don't think we're getting as much of that now because we need to be more recognised and more respected, and not just teachers in all organisations. I think it's really important to value the person. Yeah, it's really resonating, and from what I've you know been hearing from people talking about education around me, there's this real sense of depletion and criticism and not enoughness and not being valued, and maybe that's the magic pill then. But where do we start from here? If we're like, if you want to talk about the the, the teacher shortage um, that's sort of global at the moment because they just don't have that energy. What, what do you see as that start of healing this post-COVID thing that's happened where we're all just so drained and we've lost so much trust in the system? Um, you know, we were heroes a second ago and now we're dirt mm-hmm. on everyone's shoes. How do we get back from that? I think it's um, connecting and believing in what we're doing is a, is, is a good start. I, don't, I think we've got to keep those renewable energy sources and connection is part of that, definitely, um, being listened to. And But the thing is we need young people to want to teach as well. You know, we need uh, to be more recognised for what we're doing. But any young, if, if you speak to students that have had someone that they connected with who believed in them, that everyone can talk about a teacher. A lot of people can talk about lots. Um and and I'm not just talking about teachers. We've had educators as well, um, sports coaches, parents, you know, in the broader sense of education. I think we've got to recognise that teaching is, is a noble profession. As at Parker Palmer that said, only the brave shall teach. Um, and, and encourage students to want to be part of this very noble profession. 
So that's a bit cultural because it's not glamorous and it's not the most highly paid thing, but it is it is the best thing I've ever done in my life and I love teaching. I love what I do. I teach adults now harder, <laughs> um, but I feel like I am an educator and always will be till, you know, my last breath I will always be an educator. And we've got to feel the universities with more people wanting to teach for the right reasons. I think we've also got to look at tertiary education um, and, and training of teachers. But what can we do? I think we can find energy, whatever it is, that elevates you. And there's a little sort of clue. I don't know, I shared this with you, but if you um, if, if something elevates you, you've often taken photos of it. So if I look on my phone, it'll be my family, it'll be my dog, it'll be learning lots of lots of quotes and lots of things like that it'll be outdoors they're the things that elevate me we've got to keep filling our tanks renewing our energy connecting with people who add to our lives don't deplete us and I think we've got to ask why more often because if there's no why why are we doing it Mm. you you will remember we had lots of challenges around homework and, and I was interviewed often on homework and we called it out-of-class work. Tell me any other place, any other profession where you're expected to go home, maybe running your own business, but you go home at the end of the day and you have more work than you had at the beginning of the day. We do that to teachers and we do it to students. Why? Why? It's yeah. just, it, you know, we've got to ask the why and more people have to ask the why. Why are we doing it? You know, what's to be achieved? What makes you say that? Where's the evidence? And again, I don't think one person can, um, I don't think we can look after our own well-being alone. I think we know what needs to happen, but we don't necessarily do it. So it's really critical. What COVID's done is disrupt that connection and, you know, face-to-face connection as well. And I think that that's at the absolute core, having conversations. I genuinely believe that coaching is a game changer. If you can think of yourself as teacher as coach, leader as coach, parent as coach, and that's about saying, tell me about that some more. It's not about telling them what to do. It's about asking what they're thinking, engaging in the conversation that's in their head. I think it's an absolute game changer. Um and having those conversations with each student at least once a quarter, but then also the conversations weekly or two weekly or tell me three things that are working well, two that you're struggling with and one thing you'd change if you were me. Those sort of little timely feedbacks show people that they are valued and that you're listening. To me, that's at the core. Yeah. So, like, if I was to summarise our conversation, like, for people who are feeling like they're drowning a little bit right now, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like the things to work on are connection, mm-hmm. having courage and having some of those tough conversations and taking tough action mm-hmm. and doing something that you're passionate about that fills your energy levels. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when I think about, like, 
kids, they'll always say the thing I want in it that I love most about teachers is when they're passionate about what they teach. Would it then lend itself to saying, well, maybe ask the question about why would I teach this part of the curriculum right now rather than why then teaching something I'm passionate about, you know, mm-hmm. can I switch mm-hmm. it out right now? Mm-hmm. Can you can you flip it? I know the students often would ask me why I do. I used to talk to them a lot. I can remember coming in and I had <clears throat> the whole year 10 and I seem to have them on my own in the end, which I, I'm trying to flip it and say that is a compliment to me because they thought I could handle this really well. There was a level of um, eye rolls because here she goes with this whole well-being thing because well-being definitely comes before anything else. And I was trying to get their attention. I did a brain boost or brain break and um, it was a bit chaotic. But at the end of it, I said, so why did I do that? And they all said, I don't know, but it was risky, Mrs. Knight. <laughs> and I laughed and said, yeah, it was risky. But it, And then I explained to them it wasn't risky because it was a competition and you all wanted to win. So I knew that I'd get the end result, which was sitting down and, and being, you know, ready to start. It was about a readiness thing. And it wasn't long after the end of that session that I would say eight boys, all boys, came down and said, can you share this with our teachers? That was such fun, but it was clever. But it's always about the why, you know. So if we can flip it out to sort of say, well, um, how can I find a way in? We talk about student engagement. You hear people say, oh, they were engaged. Were they? I'm not sure. It's hard to assess engagement, isn't it? And and I think it's I think it's everything. You know, if we're engaged, we get into flow and we're um we want to come back for more and we we feel more respected and um, and I think we've, we've really got to start with us as, as educators. It's really important to, I feel like self-care is seen as selfish still in our culture for some people, particularly those in the giver, in the service, you know, the giver kind of spaces. So now I just try and think, well, um, if it's good for my students, if it's good for my team, if it's good for my family, surely it's good for me too. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mm. love that. It's been really great, Annabelle. I think I think that there's a lot to reflect on in there. Um, I, I've yeah, I've taken a lot out of that. How are you? How are you? Where are you at? Well, <laughs> I know I always think big. Um, and my true north is is a big true north. But even though I'm thinking big, I'm actually going back to some real fundamentals in humanity. Yeah, 100%. Listening, respect, relationships. And I just worry that the world sees them as soft skills. Well, they're not. They're strong and quantifiable mm. and, and so important. And so whilst I transcend and think big picture a lot, the stepping stones towards it are doable. They are doable. We, the key for me is to do less, appreciate we've got what we've got, and do it together. Yeah, I, I would. I love that, and and I would question whether you know you can measure engagement. Like, if you're bored as a teacher, surely they're bored. Like, if you're passionate and fired up and in flow the chances of them being with you is so much higher. Mm. So I suppose that's homework for teachers is to go and find something to teach this week that actually sets your heart on fire 
Because mm. I wonder if that might just not hook those kids back in, even if it's one lesson you have to give away to just ignore the curriculum and just fire it up a little bit for both for all of you. Pretty contagious. It's pretty contagious Um, Mm. and it's hard not to. Even if you don't connect to the content, you connect to the energy in the room and and the the active learning that's going on. Yeah, I reckon that's a really great message. That's something I'm going to do this week and next week as well. Perfect. Me too, I think. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a wonderful chat and um, hopefully I'll connect with you again soon. So thanks for joining us on Teacher Healer, Annabelle. Thank you so much, Janine. Have a lovely afternoon. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Healer podcast. Find more episodes and information at www.teacherhealer.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate us or refer us to your friends and colleagues. And if you care about saving the world from plastic, click on the Zero Co link in the show notes to learn what you can do to help.